0: Thank you, worship team, kids up through fifth grade, go ahead and make your way to your classrooms. The rest of you, please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel, we're going to be in chapter seven again, and actually I think we're going to... Uh, get it done this week in Daniel Chapter seven. I said last week i didn't know how many weeks it was going to take us i 'll we'll see what happens this morning, but I think this will uh will this will be our last week in Daniel chapter Seven uh Those of you who know me well are going to be uh not surprised about this one iota, but uh I was uh given these things our our uh kids. Uh, during the Foundations Hour, made a bunch of cards for uh, Chad and his family, and we have a gift for Chad as well as a thank you, and I was supposed to hand them to him when uh, he was uh, up here, and I even had them right there as we were, and I completely forgot. So Chad, don't let me forget to give these things to you, Um, but uh, just really our kids especially just wanted to uh, just make you feel welcome and thank you for being here. So do not leave before I give these things uh, to you because I will forget again, and the reason I'm even saying this right now is to tell myself, don't forget about this. Like I said, we're going to be in Daniel chapter 7 uh, this morning. I am, uh, I don't know, I'm feeling, I don't know if it's too much coffee this morning or what, but you might remember, for those of you who've been uh, part of our church since I started three and a half years ago, you might remember my early times, I was just like shaking and so nervous to be up here preaching. And and I've kind of, I mean, I still feel like... uh, I never feel comfortable, but I, I think the big nerves have mostly gone away. Um, however, this morning, I kind of feel in it, and, and I think it's because, really, uh, what we're going to see in our passage this morning, and what we're going to see, really, in our whole Bibles this morning, is I just don't feel... Um, a, worthy or B, even capable of sharing some of these things that we're going to see. So I'm, I'm just so excited and I'm just praying that the Lord would open our eyes to some things this morning because his word is amazing and Jesus is amazing and we're going to see some really cool stuff this morning, Lord willing. So if you would just bow your heads with me, I'm going to pray and just ask that the Lord would move in a powerful way uh, in this time. So Heavenly Father, God, we, uh, we come to you and say uh, you are holy 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 you are worthy 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 and we are not god we are not worthy to worship you uh, on our own we are not worthy apart from jesus to even bring you the glory that you deserve and yet uh, jesus made us worthy he made us uh, saints so we praise you god Uh, And as we we gather together this morning and we open up your word and we're going to talk about some of these things that you put in your word for us to see and just blow us away by God, I just ask that you would just really um, just open our eyes, God, and open our hearts. Give us just a hunger to know you more. Lord, I know the feeling so well of coming into church and um, not really thinking much about it, um, not really anticipating much from it, God. And so, Lord, I just ask it right now that you would just build in us an anticipation and a hunger, not to be entertained, but to know you more, God. Do that. Help me, God. Guard my heart. Guard my words. May we see you clearly today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know if you've uh, ever had this happen to you. I'm guessing that uh, many of you have, but there's this uh, certain phenomenon that happens sometimes where uh, you never noticed something before, and then all of a sudden it comes to your attention. And then you can't stop seeing it everywhere you look. You ever have that happen? Like maybe it's like a movie you'd never heard of or a TV show or something and then all you hear about it and then it's like all of a sudden everyone's talking about this thing or uh, maybe it's a product that you never used and then all of a sudden again you hear about it and then it's like everywhere. I remember this happened when uh, we got Emily's car. She got an Equinox and I'm not really a person who notices cars but after she got her Equinox it's like I noticed everywhere, right? Everyone has an Equinox it seems like. Uh, sometimes we have like four Equinoxes p- parked in our uh, church parking lot uh, during the week. So uh, we, it's, uh, there's actually a term for this. I learned it this week because I just Googled. You Google weird things when you're a pastor sometimes. So I Googled uh, never noticing something and then all of a sudden seeing it all over the place and not knowing what was going to come up. But uh, there's actually a term for this. I had no idea. It's called the Bader-Meinhof phenomenon. Did anyone know that or has anyone heard of that before? So, this is a, so if you feel like you're just going crazy, you're not. This is a real thing that happens to people where something that you didn't know before all of a sudden seems to show up everywhere you look. And I say that to us as we begin because I think we are all about to experience the Bader-Meinhof phenomenon together when it comes to something in God's words. I'm about to bring something to your attention that I had never really noticed before. I'm guessing many of you have not really noticed it either. But now once we talk about it this morning, you're going to start to see it all over the Gospels. Here it is. Here's a trivia question for you. Uh, Craig Salisbury is not allowed to answer because I already told him. Here's a trivia question. What was Jesus' favorite name for himself? What did Jesus... And actually, I just noticed I didn't plan this, but Pastor Jerry left some candy bars up here from his uh, uh, new members class this morning uh, because that's what we do is we bribe people to become members of our church. And so I got a. Butterfinger bar here for anyone who can figure, who knows the answer. What was Jesus' favorite name for himself? Who said, who got, oh, we got it right over here first. Very good. All right, I'm going to throw it to you, Trina. Ooh. Oh, that was my bad. I, sure, I threw it short. The son of, man, that was good. I was actually going to let you open your Bibles and do an open book uh, uh, test if you couldn't figure it out. It comes from, believe it or not, Daniel chapter 7. So look with me. Uh, Verse 13 of Daniel chapter 7. It says this. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. The son of man is a title that Jesus used for himself far more than any other in the Gospels. In fact, interestingly enough, no one ever calls him that. Every time we see it. It is, uh, he is the one calling himself that, and we actually see it show up in the Gospels over 80 times, including over 50 separate occasions, so not just because of parallel passages, 50 separate times Jesus refers himself to the Son of Man. And like I said, now that you've heard that, whenever you read the Gospels, you're going to start to see it all over the place. In fact, I'd encourage you to now underline every time you see Son of Man as you're reading in the Gospels. Now, as followers of Jesus, right, people who are called to devote our whole lives to following him, we should know, like, basic information about him, right? Like, we should, I should have known that, right? That what Jesus liked to call himself, imagine being married to someone for your whole life and not really knowing, like, what name they like to call themselves, right? That's not good, right? I should have known that, right? We probably should have known that. So, now we know, right? Jesus' favorite word, name for himself, was the son of man, But it's not just enough to know what he liked to call himself, right? We should also know why. If Jesus referred to himself as the Son of Man over 50 times, at 50 separate occasions in the Gospels, we should know why he thought that that was important. And so because the Son of Man shows up in Daniel chapter 7, and because it is so clearly so important to Jesus, we're actually going to spend the rest of our time in Daniel chapter 7 this morning talking about the Son of Man. We're actually going to look at it from three different perspectives so Daniel 7 introduces us to the Son of Man, and we're going to see, first of all, what Daniel thought of that title. What, did, what would Daniel have thought when he heard in the vision, when he saw, when he says, I saw one coming like a Son of Man? What was Daniel's perspective? And then what was Jesus' perspective? What did Jesus think of it? Again, why did he like that term so much? And then we'll close by talking about what that means to us. So first, let's talk about the Son of Man from Daniel's perspective. From Daniel's perspective. Just as a reminder, where we're picking up in Daniel chapter 7, if you missed the sermon last week, I'd encourage you uh, to listen to it, to get caught up. Daniel is in the middle of this crazy dream, right? It's, a, it's not just a dream, it's kind of like a nightmare, at least the beginning part is. These four terrifying-looking beasts have just come up out of the sea. Uh, uh, we were just in Florida over fall break, and uh, I don't like it when a jellyfish comes up out of the sea, so I can't even imagine uh, what it would have been like for him to, Daniel, to see these beasts like walking up out of the sea. The first beast that he saw was a lion with eagles wings. Second was a lopsided bear with ribs in his mouth, who was told to devour much flesh. The third one was a leopard with four wings and four heads. Yikes, right? And then the fourth one was a beast so frightening that it couldn't even be compared to an animal. And we see that it had iron teeth and ten horns coming out of its head. So who are those four beasts? Well, look in your Bibles. Like I said, hopefully you have Daniel chapter 7 in front of you. We're told in verse 17 who those four beasts are. It says, these four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth. So these four great beasts represent four kings and four great kingdoms that would come. These are great beastly powers that would arise and ravage the earth, bringing destruction in their wake. Now looking back, we actually have an advantage that Daniel didn't have, which is the passing of time. And we can make educated guesses about who these kingdoms are, and they actually coincide with the kingdoms of the dream in Daniel chapter 2. So the first kingdom represents the kingdom of Babylon, the lion with eagle's wings. We know that for sure because that was actually Babylon's literal symbol. So Daniel would have walked around in the city and he would have seen the symbol of a lion with eagle's wings all over the place. So that is very clearly Babylon. Just like if it was a bald eagle, that would be very clearly representing the United States of America, right? That was their national symbol was a lion with eagle's wings. So the first symbol, uh, the first beast represented The kingdom of Babylon. The second beast represented the kingdom that would come after, which is the Medo-Persian kingdom. Just like the bear was raised up on one side and kind of lopsided, the Persians actually ended up taking over the alliance and it became a lopsided kingdom as well. And we're actually going to talk more about this next week in chapter 8. The third kingdom is likely the kingdom of Greece. The leopard with eagle's wings would have been super fast, right? A leopard is really fast, and then if it has eagle's wings, it's even faster. And so that kind of represents the speed with which Alexander the Great took over the world. And so that third kingdom, uh, from the best we can tell, is the kingdom of Greece. And then the fourth kingdom represents, in some capacity, the kingdom of Rome. But there are some things that we don't know about it yet. We don't know what those ten horns represent? Do those represent kingdoms that are still yet to come from our perspective? Are they things that already happened? We don't quite know. We don't know who that little mouthy horn is. You remember that one, that little horn that sprung up and started talking trash? We don't really understand exactly who that is either. So there are things that we can kind of deduce in terms of what these things represent, but here's what I'm going to argue for us this morning. I'm going to argue that the key to understanding what those beasts represent isn't really the key to understanding these pa- this passage. I said that kind of confusing. Understanding who these beasts are isn't the most important thing to understanding this passage. In fact, I would say the people who are the most qualified to help us understand what this passage is all about actually aren't in this room. They're down in the Rock Prairie Kids wing right now. And I'm going to explain what I mean by that. And this is going to sound made up, but I promise this is exactly, every word of this is exactly true. Almost every day I get home from work, and the first thing Owen, who is our five and a half year old son, wants to do is wrestle dad. He's like, that's just the very very first thing that he wants to do. And it, uh, as tired as I am uh, at the end of the day, I have to. Tell myself I'm gonna miss this when it's not happening anymore, and so or when he can beat me up easier. So, um, so I need to take advantage of it now. And so, we go and and we uh, go into our bedroom and get on the bed and we start to wrestle. And then, uh, he he says, Dad, 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 like eight times. What, buddy, what? He's so excited, Dad, I'm a lion and you're a tiger. Okay, that's fine. Dad, 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 what, what, Owen? I have ten tails. Okay, Dad, 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 Dad. I have 100 hooks in my tails. Okay, all right. And I try to grab him. and says, no, dad, 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 I'm as fast as a cheetah. You can't get me. So he's, he's like literally, what's he done? He's like made up an apocalyptic beast, right, in, in his mind. Kids have such better imaginations than us adults, don't, don't they? <laughs> I read this passage. So my first thought that pops in my head is like the most boring thought imaginable. It's not wrong, but it's just, it's like, well, I wonder what these beasts all represent and what the meaning is of all these symbols. Like, and that's okay, but Owen reads this passage. I read it to him. And what's his first thought? Whoa, (laughs) that's awesome. (laughs) Those beasts are so powerful. That leopard had four heads. That's really cool. And he must have been really fast. And then he wants to know who won, right? And how'd they win? What happened? What was the battle like? That is how we need to understand this passage. Even though there is important symbolism that we can grab and help us understand it, the first order of business is for us to think of this passage like a child and approach it with that mindset. Because from Daniel's perspective, he didn't know who all these beasts represented. Other than the first one, he probably figured was Babylon, right? But other than that, he didn't know. He just knew beasts are going to keep coming out of the sea. And this is going to be really scary. Because I see them, and they're very scary looking. But he also knew... That somebody was going to emerge victorious. So really we see two things from Daniel's perspective in this passage. The first thing that he knew was that the beasts, scary as they are, weren't going to win in the end. We talked about this last week. Those kingdoms would have an end. Look at verse 17 again. These four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever and ever. So who's going to win in the end? <laughs> the saints of the Most High. Daniel knew the beasts weren't going to win, but God's people were going to be victorious. And this is good news, right? This is what we said last week. We need to remember apocalyptic literature, is, which is what this is, an example of apocalyptic literature, was written to give hope to present circumstances. Because Daniel's in exile. I'm sure that he's wondering, is God ever going to deliver his people? What's the answer that we see in this vision? Good job, the two of you who got that. Yeah. (laughs) Yes, is the answer. God is going to deliver his people. The beasts aren't gonna win. So Daniel knew that the beast wouldn't win, but he also knew a little bit about how it was going to happen, which is that a Savior was coming. Look at verse 13. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of man of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him, the son of man, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. A savior's going to come. He's going to look like a son of man and he's going to receive glory and an eternal kingdom and worship from all peoples, nations, and languages forever. So if I'm teaching this in Rock Prairie Kids, I'm telling them, even though the beasts have a bunch of heads and wings and iron teeth and they're told to go devour much flesh, and they're walking out of the ocean in the scariest way possible, the Savior is even stronger. Tell them he's the most powerful And they'd be really excited about that, I think. And I think we should be excited about that, too. The beasts are going to lose, and the Savior's going to win. From Daniel's perspective, when he's given this vision, that's all he knows. But we know more, don't we? 1 Peter chapter 1 tells us that the prophets who prophesied searched and inquired carefully, wondering what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. And it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, right? And the things that have now been announced to you. In other words, Daniel really, really wanted to know who the Savior was and when he was going to come and how these things were going to happen. But he wasn't told, but we have been. And so praise God for that. We know the Son of Man. Who is that? We read that before Jesus came, we wonder. But now we read the Gospels and we know who the Son of Man is. So let's look at the Son of Man from Jesus' perspective. From Jesus' perspective. And before we jump into this section, I just want to say I was really helped by a chapter. There's a book uh, written by Alistair Begg and Sinclair Ferguson called Name Above All Names. And a lot of what I'm going to share comes from their chapter on the Son of Man, and it just was blowing me away all week. And so highly, highly recommend that. And see, the question that we need to ask as good Bible readers is, why did Jesus like to use this term so much, right? Why did he keep calling himself the Son of Man? You might say, well, because... He wanted to uh, make clear that the things in the Old Testament that were written were about him. But Son of Man isn't the only term used in the Old Testament for uh, coming Messiah, right? He could have called himself Emmanuel or the Prince of Peace or the Holy One of Israel or any number of these names that we see in the Old Testament that were used for the Messiah. But by and large, his favorite thing to call himself was the Son of Man. Why is that? Well, I think there's three reasons for this, There's actually, I think, kind of three meanings that go a little bit deeper and deeper as we go. And so we need to look at those three reasons. The first reason I think that Jesus liked to use this term so much was because he was an actual man, right? He was an actual man. And maybe as you've kind of thought about son of man, even just sitting here right now, um, maybe that is... Um, Kind of what you've kind of figured out, well, son of man means that you're a son of a man or a person, and so you were born, and uh, so that means that you are a a man. And that is true. That's one of the reasons why he used this term. You can advance to the next slide there. You you might know the hymn, Fairest Lord Jesus. Fairest Lord Jesus. You know this one? Ruler of all nations. Uh, I started too high. Son of God and son of man, right? You guys know the hymn, maybe, so what does it is to tell us that Jesus is both son of God and son of man? This is one of the harder things to wrap our heads around, that Jesus is fully God and he is fully man. He wasn't half God, half man. Jesus is 100% God, 100% man. So the term son of man reminds us of the fact that Jesus didn't just come as like this outside force who can't relate to us at all. He came and experienced life as a man his suffering was real suffering his heartbreak was real heartbreak his joy was real joy he's not a savior that can't relate to you he's been tempted in every way and yet without sin so the son of man in part just reminds us that jesus was a man even being fully god and fully man at the same time we'll never fully understand that until uh we get to heaven (laughs) The second thing, I think, is that Jesus was the ultimate man. He was the ultimate man. Now, I know you might be confused right now because you're thinking, Pastor Mike, I thought you were the ultimate man, right? Don't laugh at that. It wasn't supposed to be a joke. I don't know why you're laughing. You're wrong. It's Jesus. And when I say ultimate man, I'm not meaning like uh, killing grizzly bears with his bare hands and then like ripping the heart out and eating it raw kind of ultimate man. That's not what I'm talking about. Now, in that time, if you were called the son of something, it meant that you embodied that characteristic. In fact, I mean, we got the candy bars up here. Here's another trivia question might as well. Jesus, this is a hard one, so I'm going to be impressed if you get this. Jesus had a nickname for his disciples, James and John. He called them the sons of what? Oh, wow. It wasn't as hard as I thought. Um, oh, boy. Clark, did you have that? Okay, I got to give it to Clark up here. Good work. There, Bennett, Bennett, I'm sorry, Bennett, that's my bad. There you go, buddy. That was a better throw. The sons of thunder. You got it. Why do they call them the sons of thunder? Because, and Jerry, you're going to have to buy more candy bars now. Sorry about that. Because they embody the characteristics of thunder, right? They wanted to like call down fire on the Samaritans at one point. So we call them the sons of thunder. So when Jesus calls himself the son of man, what he's saying is that he most fully embodies Who man was created to be is where you're going to have to really start going with me on this, okay? Another way to say this is that Jesus was the second Adam. The second Adam. The first Adam, why was he created? He was created as an image bearer of God to have a perfect relationship with God to exercise dominion over God's creation in the garden and to demonstrate the perfect love of God in, a, in the way that he loved his neighbor. That's why Adam was created. That's why mankind was created. That is the purpose of mankind. How long did it take Adam to mess that up? Not very long, right? The first Adam messed it up big time. So how did the second Adam do well we need to take a look at Matthew chapter 3 you can turn there in your Bibles or it will be on the screen as well this is really cool the devil is at the end of tempting Jesus in the wilderness this is what happened look at verse 8 again the devil took him to a very high mountain And showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he, the devil, said to him, Jesus, all these, all the kingdoms of the world, I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. All the kingdoms of the world I will give you, Satan said. All you have to do is fall down and worship me. Now here's the question. Why was this tempting to Jesus Satan had a lot of time to figure out what he was going to do to tempt Jesus in the wilderness. He wasn't going to waste any of them, okay? Why was this tempting to Jesus? Why wouldn't Jesus, the son of God. Why couldn't he just be like, no, that's, why would I need to do that? Because Satan is promising Jesus exactly what he came to earth for. What does Daniel 7 tell us that the Son of Man would receive? Everlasting kingdom. Jesus came as the Son of Man to take back the kingdoms of the world from Satan. How was he going to have to do that? The cross. What is Satan offering him here? Everything he wanted. (laughs) Okay, you can have it all, Jesus. That's what you came for? You can have it. What was the cost? What was the catch? Disobedience. (laughs) You can have everything you want. You're just going to have to bow down and worship me. When Adam and Eve were in the garden, Satan's promise to them was this. You can rule without a ruler. You can have dominion without authority over you. You can have everything you want, and you don't need God to get it. What do they say? Yes, please, I'd like that very much. Thank you. Give me that apple here, Adam. You take it too. That's the same thing every single one of us has done ever since. So now in the wilderness, surrounded by, get this, in Luke's account, wild beasts, incidentally. The second Adam finds himself face to face with the same temptation. Adam and Eve are promised a garden without authority. Jesus is promised a kingdom without the cross. And the first Adam said yes. The second Adam said be gone Satan. And if he hadn't said that, if he had succumbed to that temptation, you and I would still be dead in our sins. But he didn't. He is the ultimate man. He did the thing that no other man could do. The thing that mankind was created for. He triumphed where the, second, where the first Adam failed. Jesus was the son of man. Because he was the ultimate man. And guess what? We are still just getting started because there's a third reason Jesus called himself the Son of Man. And it's because he was the fulfillment of Daniel chapter 7. He was the fulfillment of Daniel chapter 7. The reason we know that is that's exactly what Jesus told us in Matthew chapter 26. I don't know if we're having issues with the screen right now. So if you want to turn there in your Bibles, Matthew chapter 26. It's right before Jesus was crucified. He was on trial before Caiaphas, the high priest. And he was asked what his response was, there we go, to those who accused him. Verse 63, what do you say to those who are accusing you? Verse 63, but Jesus remained silent. He didn't say anything. The high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the son of God. Jesus said to him, you have said so. What a great response that is, right? You've said so. Then he says this. But I tell you, from now on, from this moment forward, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. What's he saying? You're about to see Daniel 7 fulfilled right before your very eyes. The Son of Man is about to take his seat on the throne. This is what Sinclair Ferguson had to say about that moment. This is what Jesus was saying. I am that son of man described in Daniel. You humiliate me now, but it is I who will come to the ancient of days surrounded by his glorious angels in the clouds of heaven. What you see now is my suffering beyond human recognition, but this is going to purchase dominion beyond human imagination." The day will soon come when all authority in heaven and on earth is mine. And Right after that, they called him a blasphemer. <laughs> they sentenced him to death as an innocent man. He was beaten, he was mocked, and put to death on a cross. Was that the end of the story, church? Three days later, he rose from the grave, then he appeared to the disciples, and then it was time. Acts chapter 1, verse 9 tells us just exactly how he got back to the ancient of days. Verse 9, when the, he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a what? A what? Cloud. A cloud took him out of their sight. He did it. Praise God. Can we give Jesus a round of applause for that one? He did it. See, this is what I think Daniel and others missed when reading Daniel chapter 7. It says, the son of man would come on the clouds. We sing that song, right? We're coming on the clouds. But we picture it as him coming down. But he's coming on the clouds to the ancient of days. Which means what? He's going up. Which means to purchase dominion and authority and worship forever from every nation, tribe, and tongue. Jesus had to die and raise again. And after he raised again, he returned to the ancient of days on a cloud. 500 years earlier, God shows Daniel this dream in a vision of Jesus ascending to the Father on a cloud and then Jesus came and did it. I think I understand now why Jesus liked calling himself the son of man. Don't you think? So what's that mean for us? Quickly, as we close, from our perspective, what did Jesus do? The son of man lived the life that you couldn't live. He lived the life that you couldn't live. Satan offered Jesus the kingdoms of the world if he would only disobey And Jesus said no. He lived a perfect life that no man before or since could live. And because of that, he's now our example of what a true man looks like. What a true relationship with God looks like. What it looks like to love your neighbor. Not only that, but it qualified him to be something that no one else before or since could be for us, which was the pure and spotless sacrificial lamb. Not only did he live the life we couldn't live, but he died the death that we deserve to die. And Go to the next slides. In Jesus' final hours on five separate occasions, he was examined by the authorities and pronounced innocent. And yet after each time, the trial continued and ultimately he was sentenced to death. What does that tell us? It tells us that an innocent man died. Not only that, but the innocent one died so that the guilty ones could live. The guilty ones could live. Jesus lived the life we couldn't live, and then he died the death that we deserved to die. If I can put it even stronger, Jesus Christ was condemned for crimes that you committed. That's the gospel. This is why you have new life, because the Son of Man purchased it for you on the cross. Praise God that he died on the cross so that you could live forever with him. So he lived the life you couldn't live. He died the death that you, couldn't, that you deserved, and now he's let you in on his mission. Back to Daniel 7, to him was given dominion and a glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. Daniel 7 tells us that the Son of Man will be served by all nations. So what does the Son of Man tell us to do right before he rises on those clouds? Back to the ancient of days? He tells us to go and make disciples of all nations. Which means that we, incredibly, get to play a part in making Daniel 7 a reality. Fulfilling it. Concluding it. How amazing is that? So what do you think we should do? We're, yeah, <laughs> we should do it. We should probably work on making Christ known from our neighbors to the nations. What do you think, church? I hope we can see how this fits together. The whole story of the Bible fits together, and it's amazing. And we shouldn't be surprised about that because God is amazing. Amen? And he sent his son so that you could know how amazing he is. And if you don't know his son, I sure hope you know him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God. Oh, you're so good. Your word is amazing. Because you're amazing. Your son is amazing. You sent him for us. How deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure. That he would give his only son. You gave your only son to make me a wretch, your treasure. God Satan told Jesus he could have all the kingdoms of the world if he would just bow down and worship him. And Jesus said no because he knew he needed to be obedient to go to the cross to purchase us for himself. Thank you God, thank you Jesus that you were the second Adam, the faithful one where we all failed, God. Now you've let us in on your mission, God. So may we be faithful now as your sons and daughters who are set in to inherit the kingdom, God, that we would make you known and proclaim your name to the ends of the earth, Jesus. May there be joy in the house of the Lord today. In Jesus' name, amen.